Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to episode 99 of the Firetime Podcast. This is a big deal. I have been looking at episode 100 for a few months now thinking, man, this is crazy that we're coming up on this and it is it's pretty incredible. You know, originally when the HPBA trade show was still going to be an in-person show in Louisville, Kentucky, I was trying to plan it to where episode 100 was going to take place at the trade show and we do a live like panel or Q&A or something to be really special for it and obviously that got canceled so we didn't do that. But regardless, we do have something really cool planned for next week and I'm just I'm excited for you to hear it. But today is not episode 100, today is episode 99 and if you've been tracking with this season so far, you know that we are running through a 10 step execution process to run your jobs perfectly from start to finish. And we're going to continue that today. So if you didn't catch last week, we gave you an overview of the 10 steps. This starts at the very beginning in the showroom with your customer and it's going to work them all the way through every step of the process through the final installation and even a thank you card and a review at the end. Now, last week we gave you the overview and we also covered in detail step one. Now, for this week today, we're going to talk about steps two and three. Step two is the job walk and final estimate. And step three is sales follow-up. Now, this is something that the temptation is when you hear it to think like, oh yeah, like we do this most of the time. And you might do it most of the time, but it's not documented. And because we're not looking at it holistically as a process, when something gets messed up, we don't think, oh, you know what? This got messed up because of step two. So we're going to talk today about why it's so important to make sure that we nail the job walk and final estimate. And step three, like it's kind of a sleeper, the sales follow-up. This is something that I hadn't done personally in, in meeting Grant. It was incredible to see that this was baked into their process. So before a job gets scheduled, they have the salesperson actually take the baton back from the estimator, call the customer and review everything on the job. And we're going to talk about why this is so important. But at its heart, it has to do with managing expectations. When someone goes to buy a fireplace, two things are happening. One, they're dropping a ton of money. And two, they're doing something they haven't done before most of the time. And and when, when you have that combination, people get really, really nervous, right? I mean, are these people going to do what they say they're going to do? Is this product actually going to perform the way that I'm hoping it does? These are all questions going through their head. And when we don't set expectations and then manage to them, the customer will set those expectations. But the problem is they may not let us know what they are until you know we, we get to the job site or until something bad happens and we find out that we are on two totally different pages. So by having the salesperson follow up before moving on, this is a great chance to clearly identify those expectations and then we can manage the rest of the process to it. Now, if there's one thing to take away in this conversation about estimates, we, we talk about this a little bit, but I just want to be super, super clear, is that the job of an estimator is not to estimate the job. 
at least not primarily. We're going to go into details as to why, but the estimator is actually doing something different on site. You could, as an estimator, be told, hey, there's a wood stove. You got to go out and measure, see if it's going to work. You could go out and do exactly that, and the job might be a failure because of something that should have been identified by you out at the house. We're going to talk about what that is. Once again, we've got Grant Falco on the show today to go through it in detail, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Joining me once again from Spokane, Washington is Grant Falco, co-owner of Falco's and Fireplace Magazine Extraordinaire. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good, Tim. I'm excited to be here and talk about these next few steps in the 10-step execution process. Yeah, me too. So for anybody that didn't catch last week's episode where we outlined the 10 steps, I'm just going to repeat them all real quick so we have context. Yeah. Step one, in the showroom, what do we do? We talked about last week how we need to identify the customer's problem and then give them a plan to solve it. Step two, we're going to talk about, talk about this today, is the job walk and final estimate. Step three is sales follow-up. Step four, scheduling the installation. Step five, purchasing product. Step six, receiving and staging in the warehouse. Step seven, the confirmation call. Step eight, installation. Step nine, turning in paperwork. And step 10, thank you and review. I'm getting out of breath saying that. And it sounds like a lot because it is. But man, I mean, this this thing's like the, the you know, four by four relay in, in the Olympics. Like you got to pass that baton cleanly. I mean, we're going to use this analogy every single week. If you don't pass that baton, you're done, right? Yeah. I mean, who cares how fast you are if you can't pass the baton, right? I mean, we're not going to get to the finish line. It doesn't even matter if the first three people pass the baton perfectly, that fourth person drops it, you're out of the race. I think as we analyze this, Tim, it's exciting because each and every you know, stage of this has different things within it that are solving the problems we talked about in the first episode and highlighted the missing venting, the missing conversion kit, the, the poorly communicated clearances, and we, we bought the wrong pipe. All these things that we're reviewing here, if they're consistently done, will solve those problems. I mean, they will. And that's the cool part. I'm excited to talk about step two. Yeah, no question. I mean, I want you to go back to what you said. Like if you're, if you're taking notes as you listen to this, write this down. It doesn't matter how fast you are if you can't pass the baton, dude. Those are words to live by. Because think about <laughs> that. It doesn't matter how good your installer is if they won't do their paperwork. That's exactly right. It doesn't matter how good your salesperson is if they don't communicate well with the scheduler. Like it doesn't matter. Totally. I would say I would say that with an installer, the paperwork and the handoff and certain things are almost more important than the yeah. talent of the installer. I think talent of the installer can be taught. It's hard to conform to certain little things. You know, I mean, success is built of a lot of short term uh, or a lot of small decisions or small uh, tasks done to get you there. And these are a lot of meticulous steps along the way. But once done in routine, become a lot easier and give you that sense of security that, you know, this job is going to be completed as expected 99% of the time. Oh, Grant. I mean, there's a business that I'm thinking of, and I, you know who they are, that they struggle because they, they've got somebody on their staff that is single-handedly killing their company. But they say that this person, well, they, they, they've got all this knowledge that's in, intrinsic, and, and, and they, they, like, they've got, they're the only ones that can know everything about all the fireplaces. And, and we look at this thinking like, so what? It doesn't like, 
everything they do is destroying your company. They're not, they're not following any of the, they have no checks and balances. It, it, you know, it's running out of control. And so it, things like that are really hard. It, we, 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 believe the lie sometimes that, oh, because they're a good installer or, well, you know, they're my best salesperson. And, and the answer is, I, I get that. We want to graciously work with them. But if it gets to a point where they will not run the play, it doesn't matter how fast you are if you won't pass the baton. Yeah. As I learn in my journey, um, those are the situations where you have to cut your losses. Yeah. Talent is not worth it no. if they won't conform to your framework. If you don't have a framework, it's, it's going to be difficult to manage them no matter what. But if you have a framework and they're not willing to conform to it, the agonize, the anxiety that you're experiencing is not needed. Yeah. Like if you put together a framework that is worth following and that is put in place and there's reasons for it along the way, you can have less talented people do better work than a talented person. Agreed. Because you have solved their problems through the process. I mean, right now... <laughs> I have I have two installation crews running out of the four that combined experience on the crew is less than two years. Wow. Why? Why? Because we take step two extremely seriously and all the steps extremely seriously. We rate all the jobs to what the installer is capable of and what how we schedule them. And we'll talk about that more. But you can do a ton if you have a consistent, accountable framework. And that's what we're trying to share with everybody, I think. And step two is is really one of those vital parts of uh, making sure that the installation goes successfully. Oh, yeah. I mean, last last analogy before we jump into this, it's a sports one, but I'm just thinking about the difference between the you know LeBron James Miami Heat and then Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs with Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. So like with those Spurs teams, not one person on the team was the most talented when they were winning all those championships like Duncan was good but he was you know getting towards the tail end of his career there were better big men in the league than Duncan and there were better point guards in the league than Tony Parker and there were better shooting guards than Manny Ginobili but they had a system and they could plug people into the system and, and get the most out of them you look at LeBron James's heat yeah they, they won some titles there's no question they had a, a big three and that was it and the the truth is that you know what happened to the heat once LeBron left they're done and like they still haven't gotten back even close to where they were where the Spurs were able to sustain a lot of success through interchanging some of those of those players so the point is is that is that building the system helps build everybody up last week we talked about step one in the 10-step execution process which is going to be what happens in the showroom we we ended the episode by saying that we need to pass the baton by filling out an estimator setup form and that form details out a lot of information that sets the estimator up with the customer story the units that they were looking at the pricing any sales that are going on what type of customer they are and now we get to step two which is the job walk and final estimate and grant there's a problem with this step and this this is 100 percent you so i'm going to read it to you and i want you to comment on it the problem with our job walks most of the time is that we think we're out there to estimate an installation rather than solve the customer's problem and manage expectations. Yep. So me growing up in this business, I did 
installation estimates. And uh, I didn't have the most experience. And I realized that I didn't need to have the most experience in order to effectively do the job. It was a blessing. I never, I didn't grow up installing like a lot of sons of owners of hearth shops would. So I kind of came in this a little bit backwards. And I think it helped me because I realized that it was about understanding the consumer's problem and making sure that the product we were selling them was going to solve that problem. And I think stepping into leadership helped me kind of solidify that because if I wasn't solving their problem up front, guess what? I was the one now that was going to hear about it and I didn't want to. So it really does come down to solving the problems and managing our expectations. And I'd like to just start by saying, that's what you're out there to do. Verify the solution and that that product is going to work. And I'm going to start off with an example of something I've used in the past that just, it rings true to to why this is so important. So a few years ago, I was stepping in and doing estimates uh, for our team. As we were kind of flexing in and out, we needed just a little bit more support on the uh, the in-home job walks. And so I volunteered and, and maybe was doing five to seven a week at that time. And uh, I got out to this job walk where it was a, just the nicest little bit older lady, just the nicest lady. So sweet. And just, you know, really just wanted a a brand new wood stove. And I walked into the, it was in a basement. It's a, you know, straight up through a chase in a basement, kind of in an alcove situation. And, you know, the stairs are on the other side of the the, the basement. And I look at it and I see a a brand new low, like it looked brand new, but it was a low pie. It ended up being like 10 years old. Um, and so I looked at her and I was like, well, what, what, are you, what are you looking to do with this new appliance? What do you want to get out of this new appliance? What does this appliance need to do for you and, and do you feel good about it? And she's like, well, I just I need it to burn a little bit longer. I need it to smoke less into the home. I need it to be less temperamental because sometimes I'll leave and I'll come back and my whole house will be filled full of smoke. And what I was about to sell her was another secondary combustion wood stove. And the problems weren't necessarily the wood stove that she had. The problems were that she had tall trees. She was out of the base of a hillside. She had some negative pressure issues. And if I sold her this awesome secondary combustion stove, she was going to end up with the same problems. And I was, I had this, this, uh, the wood stove was actually on closeout. So I was very motivated to sell it, just trying to get through some closeout product. <laughs> but I looked, I thought to myself, what's the right thing to do here? And the right thing was to explore other options because the consumer was looking to buy a new wood stove, but it wasn't going to solve her problem. But was it the best wood stove I sell? Yes, it was. She ended up buying a natural gas stove with 50 feet of gas piping for roughly the same price, solved her problems of backup heat source, reliability, doesn't have any smoke in the house, doesn't have to clean the chimney, and she is one of the happiest customers that we've, we've, we've had. Uh, or not that I think that that's the journey and the experience we want our consumers to have. Not that she's any happier than others, but she has been extremely grateful and shown us that since, uh, since that time three or four years ago. And as an estimator... You have to be thinking about, is this actually solving the consumer's problem? And make sure it is. That's your responsibility. Well, here's what I love about that. So a couple things. You know, first off, I just imagine her coming into the showroom and she's saying, hey, I got this wood stove and it's just smoking out my house like crazy. It's not burning long enough. And 
Um, you know, we got it a little while ago, but we just thought it would do better than this. I just imagine a salesperson just being like, oh yeah, I mean, well, our, yeah, our wood stoves, they burn so good and, and you know, they're going to draft really well and you can get a great burn time. And it's like, well, yeah, but like she had a secondary combustion stove that's a great brand that it's like 10 years old. Is this one really that much different? Like, no, it's not, you know? And, and I love that. Like if, if, if you would not have, have, have taken her on that journey of identifying her problem, if you just went out to quote unquote estimate a stove, you, you would have walked in, looked at it, measured, the, measured up the clearances and gone back to the salesperson and said, yep, it'll work. Think about it. It could have been a 15 minute estimate in and out. Customer would have went with it and my day was easier. I'm on the way. But as you have a, a responsibility to those consumers and maybe because my last name was on the building, I took that responsibility more seriously. I don't know. But you're responsible as the expert to make sure what you are selling them is solving their problems. And it is sometimes a choice to do the harder thing. Here I got rid of a closeout that I've been trying to get rid of for a while. Here I slow down my day and take an extra 45 minutes to, to quote out a gas stove as well and explain that and sell it to her. No, it's not ideal, but it's the right thing. Yeah. You know, and even I know, I know in, you've taught, you told me the story before that you in particular sold her standing pilot, right? So that yeah. that way it wasn't relying on outside power. Exactly. And, and, and that's so good. Like when you, when you talk to her at the job site as the estimator, you want to make sure that, that this really does solve the problem. And, and you get a vision into that in the house that you just don't get in the showroom. So, so, you know, not knowing the situation that, that set you up, you know, things may or may not have been said in the showroom. Certain questions may or may not have been asked. But the purpose of the estimator is that you're the final say. Yep. So, like, when the estimator is done at the job site, they should verify that the product solves their problem. And if it doesn't, the estimator makes the call on the new product. Yep. That's exactly right. Is that fair? Right. That's exactly right. That's yeah. what should happen. Yep. It's it's not the salesperson. So, no. so this, you know, maybe, maybe the, the estimator goes back to the salesperson and says, oh, you know, this one's not going to solve the problem. It doesn't go back to the salesperson to decide. The estimator says, this one's not going to solve the problem, but this is. And, and that's the product from now on. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And I think this works, you know, there's different types of hearth shops that we have worked with and you have maybe some that lead more new construction. This is, is same new construction. You guys, why are TVs so high above fireplaces at the end of, of, of a, a construction job? Why do so many customers wish that the flame was taller or that the TV was lower and the mantle wasn't as high as it is? It's because we're not solving their problem. We're not managing their expectation. We understand the journey. We understand now that that's been a problem. High TV. If you're not asking questions that are solving those problems outside of the fireplace on a new construction journey, are you doing them a service? Do you want to hear from that customer every time? Yeah. They're raising up it 18 inches and it's a, a monster 48, 46 inch fireplace that puts out a ton of heat and they want a mantle and you're not talking to them about a non-combustible mantle to lower the TV or anything or heat out kits that it's all about solving the consumer's problem. And when we go to places and we hear the phone calls ringing and them putting their heads down saying, gosh, how do I solve this? It's by running the system consistently. It's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to weed out all the problems. But if you run this, it's not easy. But if you run this, it will solve those problems. Yeah. And, and that's such a profound change for the estimator. Like, hey, the estimator's job is not go out and measure to see if Quadrifier 3100 will fit there. No, the, the job is go out 
and and confirm that a Quadrifier 3100 is going to solve the problem yep. and then measure for it, right? That's exactly right. So we want to verify that the product solves the problem. The next thing is complete a job walk form with pictures. And I think a lot of companies have a job walk form, so we don't need to beat this to death. But I will say that your job walk form, I'm just going to tell you, it has to be digital. And, the, and there's a lot of reasons why, but my belief is that the job walk form when it's digital and you're taking pictures, it does a couple things. One, it makes it to where it can't get lost. No one's spilling coffee on it. But you can also set your job walk form up to immediately flag the salesperson as soon as it's done. And now the salesperson is ready. They're ready to take the baton. You guys have a great job walk form. Um, this is something that uh, you know I put together some some digital ones too. And I would just say like, if you haven't, like, it, it's hard to make this switch to digital, and and I guess I understand if your estimator, you know, if they really can't do it, you, you got to work with that. But if at all possible, make it a digital form and just make it something that you can attach your pictures to straight up. There's a lot of point of sale systems that can help you with this. You could all, you also use like Jot Form or Google Forms if you need to, but complete that job walk form with pictures. And then step three it, it, for the estimator being out at the house, Grant, I want you to take this is to rate the job on both the difficulty and the attractiveness. Yeah. So, I mean, we all have different experience level installers. We all have different uh, products that we sell and, and they're all, they can be installed in a number of different ways. And that's a, that's a, a tough puzzle to put together, especially like in our showroom where we sell a lot of different brands. In order to effectively manage that and logistically schedule it and plan it out, you cannot have your coordinator always calling your estimator saying, hey, is this job easy enough for this guy? Or hey, is this job, like, should we not put it here because of it being a Friday? There's all this time and energy spent on the information that these estimators have in their head. And we got to extract that amount of information out when it is hindering us from doing a good job. And these coordinators need to know, like, I mean, we have issues with having employees show up all the time. We have customers cancel last minute because they're not ready for us. How do you pivot and make that as easy as possible? You do it by rating the difficulty and the attractiveness. Uh, and it can be elaborated on. Once you have rated the difficulty and attractiveness, there's so many things that allows you to do to scale and grow your business. To just kind of run through what we do really quickly, um, we have now laid out kind of a master spreadsheet of almost every installation, and we've given it an R rating. And our R ratings go from an R5 to an R10. And to keep it simple, an R10 is the most difficult of jobs, and an R5 is the easiest of jobs. The second part is a letter and it's A through F and it basically is saying what the attractiveness to the job is. So the difficulty is how hard is it going to be to complete the job task orientated only, installation only. Attractiveness is, is it a good paying job? Is it a nice customer or is it not a nice customer? Is it easy to get to or is it difficult to get to? Uh, do we have cell service? Do we not have power? Like all these different things that have to be built into how attractive is this job? Well, an R5 to an R8A is the best jobs that we can ask for. And so what it allows you to do is give the right jobs to the installers that you have. It allows you to appropriately manage your schedule as best you can. And it gives all the information in just a few numbers and letters. Well, what's so good about that, Grant? We'll, we'll get to this more in the scheduling episode. But I mean, just teeing you up, 
how much information about fireplaces and about installation situations does a scheduler need to know and understand? Zero. Zero. And I would prefer that they don't. Yes, because their skill set should not be knowing how to install a wall thimble on a 5.8 direct vent fireplace run. It should be being a ninja on the phones and being a bulldog to move stuff around to fill that schedule. That's their skill set. It's administrative yep. Yep. Uh, as, opposed, yep. as opposed to technical. Uh, Tim, and you just you hit it. The bulldog is the right terminology. Your coordinator can make or break your business. Your coordinator's mentality is everything, and they have to be a bulldog. To give you an example, there was a year where we did uh, Falco's transition, and we were trying to get to a fifth installation crew from four. So we had our, our, our first year, let's just say, four crews. Our next year, we couldn't get to five crews, but we still increased our business 21% on that side. With the same amount of crews. Crazy. The only way it happened was how it was making our coordinator as efficient and as effective as possible. Putting in her in a position to understand what the job's going to take, who can do it, and where we can move up to. And there's a number of other things we've done to try to make her more efficient. But that's a 20% revenue increase. Same amount of people. There's not a lot of jobs that can make that big of a difference, but you have to set them up for success, but you have to also find the right person. Yeah. So we want to rate, rate the job on difficulty and attractiveness. And we obviously cross-reference that with our installation team skills. And then now the final step of the estimate is having the estimator email the final quote and then pass the baton. And this might be a surprise. Some companies may do it, some don't, but you have the estimator finalize the quote, not the salesperson. Yep. I want, uh, so that's their, that's their job. Their job is to finalize and fix the quote so that the customer accepts the job and we have everything planned out f to do it successfully. Yeah. I think that you, when you're passing it back and forth between a, a customer liaison and an estimator, you have to be, you have to keep it as simple as possible. And I think that the estimator should be most of the time have some sales experience so that they understand, uh, but at the same time, not be a salesperson, but effectively be able to change the product to the right solution and finalize that quote. I see no reason why that has to go back to the sales staff. Now, there might be some exceptions to that rule. There's nothing that's blanket. There might be like, they have the choice between two and they have to pick a color. Okay, sure. They, they might want the porcelain one versus the black one, but you're finding the product that is going to solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're identifying the unit. You're identifying all of the vent kit pieces. You're defining the scope of work. Now, if we're deciding between front A and front B or a color, that's totally fine. And that goes to the next part of this is how the estimator passes the baton. So the estimator passes the baton by completing the quote or as much of the quote as they can. And again, the only parts they're not going to be able to complete are going to be like that, that minor stuff the porcelain or the black mat or a front or b front but the estimator is going to send an email to the customer copying the salesperson saying hey kathy smith it was so great being out at your house the other day this fireplace is going to work really well i've attached to this email the the final numbers on the fireplace as we discussed the only variable that's left is going to be whether you want to go with the black or the brown i've left the pricing here with the black i've copied grant he works in the showroom you worked with him initially he's going to take it from here and he can help you the rest of the way it was so great working with you totally i love it we'll get back to our conversation with grant falco in just one minute 
Hey, we've been talking about this for a little while now, and we are so excited to tell you about the Firetime workshops that are coming up in 2022. If you're sitting here listening to these conversations or even this podcast in general thinking, man, how do I do it right? This is the place for you. So a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, Grant and I are going to take you through two and a half days of content. We're going to hit this execution process in detail, but this is like the tip of the iceberg. We actually have seven other modules that are going to make up the entirety of this workshop, and I'm telling you, it can change your company. So Grant and I will be working with you face-to-face, person-to-person, and in addition to that, you're going to be paired up with a non-competitive dealer to help sharpen each other and go out and execute. We're going to take you through different areas of your company. How do I set goals for myself and hold myself accountable to even make sure that we're staying on track? What does it look like for my warehouse to actually be set up with a red zone and a yellow zone so that installers never go out to a job site with missing pieces of pipe? How do I prepare my sales team to be able to take this burden from me so that I'm not having to be the one that does everything on the sales floor? This workshop will take you through all all of it. And by the time you're finished at the end, you will have a roadmap of how to execute with your company. So if you want to move past the chaos and take control of your business, you have got to go to one of our workshops. We have a West Coast workshop in Seattle, Washington that goes from May 1st to 3rd in 2022. And we have an East Coast workshop in Lee, Massachusetts that's going to run from May 8th to 10th. If you want to do this, you have got to go to itsfiretime.com slash workshop and sign up today. That's itsfiretime.com slash workshop. If you want to move past the chaos and take control of your business, take advantage of one of these workshops. So there's there's three different types of people. Uh, the first two are what's most common in our industry. So there's the companies that write up a scope of work or there's companies that don't write up a scope of work first. That's criminal. That's seriously criminal. How can you manage expectations if the customer doesn't know what to expect? You're quoting labor. You're quoting an install. That has to do with the work that's expected. If you're quoting labor and not writing up a scope of work, you're doing it wrong. Email me. Call me. I don't care. You are doing it wrong because you cannot pass the baton and manage uh, manage customers' expectations or even your employees' expectations without that scope of work. The second person is the people that write up a scope of work but never share it with the customer. I don't get it. <laughs> you are quoting an installation. You are quoting labor. You are quoting work. Your installers are going through so much pain and spending so much time explaining things to the consumer once they get out there that the customer thought was different. You can't do that. You have to have a scope of work attached to the sales order because they're not accepting a, a gas insert bid, uh, a sale. They're ex- accepting an installation. And they have one version of the way that installation is going to go in their mind. And you need to make sure that that is the same expectation that's on your scope of work. And if it's not, there will be things along the way, like the sales follow-up confirmation call, that will verify that just to make sure that your installers are not out there trying to explain everything again, that yeah. they're out there to review it and get on their way. Scope of work's just absolutely vital to share and have the consumer understand. Two things to tie a bow in this grant. So first off, that scope of work is part of the job walk form. So on the job walk form, 
there needs to be both a customer-facing scope of work and then internal customer notes, right? So the customer-facing scope of work, it probably needs to be a paragraph that the, that the estimator writes up that the customer will see, saying, we're going to install a gas insert into the living room fireplace on the first level of the home. We'll be running gas line through the crawl space, tapping into the line in the garage by the furnace. We'll install a gas fireplace insert into the opening with a custom-sized surround to make sure that we fit. The size of that custom surround will be XYZ. We'll be running a vent pipe through the chimney, sealing it up at the top, pulling a permit on the job and scheduling an inspection. We'll return for a second trip to light the fireplace off and show the customer how to use it. Something to that effect. But the customer needs to be able to read that and understand, okay, this is what's going to be happening on the job. Now, the other one is going to be the internal customer notes, right? The customer doesn't see this. This could be, hey, Bob Jones is really cranky, so be super, super careful about what you say to him. Their carpets are totally white, so do not you know, walk in with, with muddy boots. You want to have that external customer facing scope of work, but then you want to have your internal notes as well. One thing about the job walk form is that it must be completed. I'm just telling you this because I've messed it up so many times. It's got to be completed before you go to the next job. What I used to do is I used to do like eight, nine in-home previews in a day. I'd wait till the end of the day, best case scenario to put up all my notes together at once, or I might wait a day or two and kind of just like string them along. And I I messed up so many jobs because of it. When I slowed down, started doing less in-home visits per day, but after every single one, taking 15, 20 minutes in the truck to write it up, it was amazing how the quality of the jobs got better. So do that in real time. The final thing is going to be how quickly that quote gets turned around. I know every company is different, but I would try to turn that quote around as fast as possible. Like I would for sure within 24 hours if possible. So if your estimator can do that, if they can verify that the product solves the problem, they complete their job walk form with pictures, they rate it based on the difficulty and attractiveness. Finally, they email it to the customer copying the salesperson, clearly passing the baton. That takes us to step three, which is the salesperson follow-up. And Grant, man, I mean, I had never heard of this until I started talking with you about it, but this is one of those anchor pieces that, that we we easily brush over. I did for years, but this, again, it, it's slowing down to go fast on the back end. But the problem is very often as a salesperson, we move on to the next sale without confirming expectations on the one we just made. Yeah, and I think that the salespeople have to be responsible for the consumer. In in our business, they're 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 paid a commission based on not selling the product, making sure that the customer's journey is successful. And the sales follow-up is like the first double check or like the plant our flag in the ground and this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing for you and we're verifying everything, we're documenting everything and Everything is what you expect, or we're explaining how it's different, and we're a go. Uh, we we've come up with a terminology that we'll talk about in just a minute called green light because we we get deposits up front. Then the customer still has some things that they have to do to finalize. Like let's just say hearth pad size. So a job might be on the schedule; it might be scheduled, but it still might not get a green light. The sales follow-up has to be completed and it has to be passed off in a greenlit fashion in order for it to actually take and go on to the next step. But the sales follow-up is is so crucial to do urgently and to do completely. Uh, it's basically how you set up everything moving forward as being successful. And there will be one more double check of all this stuff at the the confirmation call as well, uh, and you have to you have to check these things two or three times just to make sure they go off without a hitch each and every time. 
Yeah. So one one thing I'll clarify. So when we talk about step three being sales follow up, I mean follow up can be a lot of things. You know, we've talked a lot in the past on the podcast about like if the estimator goes out and the customer is not ready to buy, the salesperson needs to pursue the opportunity, use their customer dashboard or CRM system to be calling them back to try to get that deposit. That's actually not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the customer has placed a deposit, right? Maybe they place it with the estimator on site. Um, maybe they come into the showroom to buy it or they call the salesperson back to place it. But, but this is where the salesperson needs to take it is the estimator passes the job back to them. And at some point the customer places a deposit at, at whatever point we're moving on to scheduling and ordering a job must be greenlit first. So if I'm a salesperson and I go to call the customer and follow up and they place a deposit, I now have to do a series of steps to green light the job before it can get scheduled. And here's the criteria. There's four things that need to happen for a job to be greenlit. Number one, we need to take a deposit. Number two, we need to review the order with the client. Number three, we have to have a signed scope of work. And number four, we need a job walk form with pictures. As a salesperson, I am responsible for getting all of those things. Now, it's not my job to go to the house as the estimator, but it is my job that before anything moves on to scheduling, I've got that estimator's job walk notes. So let's go through this. Like, number one, we need to take a deposit. Grant, in your business, a deposit happens early. Most of the time, you're taking it on the showroom floor before an estimator comes out. In the businesses that I've worked on, we take that deposit later after we've been out to the house. And it doesn't matter where you take it. You can have a great business model both ways. But you have to, nothing gets scheduled without a deposit. So that's step one is we have to have had a deposit on the job at some point. But then we have to review the order with the client. And this is this is what I had always missed that you you have just nailed, Grant. Can you talk about the importance of this and what goes into reviewing the order with the client? Yeah. So I think it's really important that your sales specialists fully understand the quote. So a part of like learning is teaching. And so we make sure that our sales staff will review the line item quote. We don't have a total quote of just one lump sum. It's line itemed out. So we explain everything that we do. And then there's a scope of work below. And we actually have the salesperson put a percentage sign at the end of every sentence on the scope of work, verifying that they went through that with the customer. It, it is powerful because it leads to questions that would not be answered before we go out there and would be happening at the confirmation call, hopefully, or at the installation. Our sales team has gotten more knowledgeable, they have become more resourceful, and they've become the expert because they are intimately knowledgeable about every job, not to mention our customers are being explained every job, cost-wise, item-wise, and scope of work, therefore just leaving le- less room for you know misinterpretation or a misunderstanding of some sort. That's really good. I mean, I'm just imagining, so the customer places the deposit and maybe the salesperson could do it on the same phone call. Maybe the salesperson says, oh, thanks for that deposit. Um, I'm going to get all of our paperwork together and I'm going to give you a call back to review things. Either one's totally fine, but the salesperson calls that customer. Hey, Grant, this is Tim from you know Falco's and I'm, I'm just giving you a call. Thanks a ton for your deposit. We can't wait to get this going. I'd like to review your order with you. Okay, we're going to be installing this you know, XYZ gas fireplace insert. We have a one story chimney kit with it. We've got a thermostatic remote control 
and we have a blower, whatever it is. That's a pretty simple one. Maybe it's a wood stove. Now, for me personally, I wouldn't line out every single piece of vent pipe. Like we have one forty-five, one nine-inch, one twelve-inch adjustable because the customer they, like, they don't know whether that is the right thing or the wrong thing. But but just like you know, we have a, a two-story vent kit, or we're going to be you know that's what you want to do. But then you're going to read verbatim the the customer facing scope of work that we just talked about and dude I love what you just said I didn't know that about the percentage signs on every sentence that is so good oh it's so good yeah and you know why that's important Tim talk to me okay so it's so important because the support staff and installers need to know that that's been confirmed in order to be confident yeah they need a sign that says we have done this if there's nothing on there they're not as confident once we started signaling, hey, this has all been done, and it's powerful. You guys, your installers need to know everything that's going into that job. So when the customer throws something out of left field, they have all the information to combat it. And it's it was very powerful having our sales staff actually have a symbol on there that says customer's been reviewed. When we do a follow-up, uh, we also d- document who we talk to because sometimes you guys, the people we are following up with aren't at the job and that's a problem and your installers need to know it and say, where's John? John's the one we've shared all this information with, accepted the quote and did the workup. Uh, we we need to figure out exactly what's going on here and, and we need to talk to John. Yeah. That happens very rarely, but it happens when you don't document it, of course. Yeah. So the salesperson, they, they take the deposit, they call the customer to review the order, they read verbatim the scope at work and then they document, you know, in whatever system you use, yep. you know, the date, who you talk to. Next up, we get a signed scope of work. So in addition to verbally going over it with the customer, we do not do work without a signed scope of work. Honestly, depending on your state, yep. it may be illegal for you to do work without a signed scope of work. Like actually in, in the state of Oregon where I live, it is illegal to do a construction project over X amount of dollars without a certain type of scope of work being filled out. So yeah, and, there, wow. and, there, and there's other states that are that. similar to that. So, so signed scope of work. And then next up is we need to confirm that we have a job walk form with pictures. Once a salesperson has these four things taken care of, the job is greenlit, and now they can pass the baton to scheduling. They can send an email to the scheduling team and say, hey, we're ready to schedule order number 253628. The job is greenlit. See the attached pictures, the deposit, the scope of work, the, the notes, everything else. But the job has to be greenlit, and now the salesperson is setting the scheduler up for success. Yep, couldn't agree more, Tim. It's all about passing that baton. Yeah, Grant, this has been so good. I can't wait to do the rest of the series, but for now, I think that there's a lot here with steps two and three. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, Tim. Well, I hope you got a ton of value out of that conversation with Grant. I know that I did. Even even having it is just incredible. And I'm, I'm taking away things as we're, as we're talking about this, and I'm listening back through it. You know, when we think about the job of an estimator, I, I teased this out a little bit at the beginning, but very often we think we're out there to estimate an installation rather than solve the customer's problem and manage expectations, right? The job of an estimator is that they are the final call on solving the customer's problem and managing their expectations. You know, like Grant said in that story, like it doesn't matter if you go out to measure for the wood stove. If, if they've already got a great non-catalytic wood stove in there and it's not performing, chances are that ours may not either based on the, the situation of, of where that home was. And 
we got to think about this, that it's so tempting sometimes to make that sale and just move on to the next one. But we got to step back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this going to solve the customer's problem? And have I set the proper expectations so that we can manage to them? I think that that's extremely powerful. And if you can train your estimators to do that, you're going to find that your jobs tend to go really well. But you have to set the estimator up. We talked last week about that estimator setup form, and and that's how you set the estimator up for success. So going into the job, they know, okay, was this scheduled because of a web inquiry or was it scheduled because of a phone call or a customer coming into the showroom? All right. What are the main you know, top one, two, or three units that they're looking at. What's the price of it? What upgrades are they considering? Okay, what's the sale price? How long does that sale go for? Okay, here's the final number. The estimator is set up with that, and it's very, very powerful. Now, one question that I get very often is, should a company have one estimator that does all of the in-home visits, or should salespeople do their own estimates? So now we have three or four. Which one's right? I think that either one is right and just laying my cards on the table in, in my previous business, we had salespeople do our own estimates. Now, Grant has always gone the other way and had one dedicated estimator. Either one can work, but there's a problem with salespeople doing their own estimates and it's that you need two, three, four, five people, however many salespeople you have, they all have to have knowledge of how the installation works and they got to communicate that in the same way. So I'll tell you this is that my belief it is best if you have a dedicated estimator. Now, if your company is big enough that, that you need to have two, that's fine. But when you have a dedicated estimator, what that does is it allows you to hire salespeople that don't know as much technically. And that, that is totally okay because they can get the customer far enough down the path because they think that the product solves their problem. They can send the estimator out to be the final authority. And it's a really, really good combination. It also condenses the technical knowledge into one person. And so you think about this, like, we're all strapped for people and we're all trying to figure out like, my goodness, how do we find someone to hire? How do I train them? Well, the estimator position condenses it to where it's only one position that needs to know absolutely everything. And I'll tell you that having a dedicated estimator actually means you can hire installers that aren't as technically minded. You can. It might sound crazy, but the reason why is because you're lining it out so clearly, right? Remember we talk about the the job difficulty rating? Oh, it's such a big deal. The job difficulty rating makes it to where, okay, we can have an installer that the only thing they, they know how to do is gas inserts into a brick fireplace, and that's okay. Now, as they stay with your company longer and longer, they can grow, and as their rating goes up, they can start to do more jobs, and that can be a great way to incentivize them getting paid a little bit more, but... Because the estimator can clearly lay it out and it's being laid out the same way in the same format by the same person every single time over and over and over and over again, it sets your installers up for success. So if there's any takeaway from that, document your processes, use that digital job walk form. Like I said, you can use like JotForm or Google Forms. There's a a lot of different avenues that, that you can use with that. Now, having the salesperson follow up with the customer is crucial as well. Because if you think about this, they're going to be reiterating that written scope of work. So the customer has seen it in the email from the estimator. Now they are listening to it as the team member talks to them, and then they're actually looking at it and signing it. This starts to set the customer up for understanding expectations. And this is not going to be the last time that we go over the scope of work with the customer. But again and again and again, we are going to brand them with that scope of work so that when we get out to the job site and the customer's like, oh, wait, like, 
I thought that you were going to go through the wall with the vent pipe. You're going to go vertical. We can say, hey, Mrs. Smith, we reviewed that with you here and here and here and here. And this person agreed to it. This person agreed to it. This person agreed to it. It starts to give you power to where you're not just all of a sudden crumbling like, oh, wait a minute. What are we doing? Oh, that's that we said that we do that. Okay, let me call and check. This is just, it's the right thing to do. You're, 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 it's a slow as fast mentality. So don't move on to the next sale without confirming expectations. Make sure that the salesperson follows up and gets that job greenlit before passing the baton to scheduling. Now we'll talk more about scheduling next week, but for now, I think that there's a lot here to digest. Now, before we go, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's fire time. And, and seriously, man, it means the world that some of you are contributing to this. And, and you know, we have people that contribute five bucks a month and other people that contribute a little bit more. And, and that gives us a, a meager budget to run the podcast on and to be able to outsource some of the administrative duties so that we can focus on getting the best guests and putting together episodes that really move the needle for you. So thank you. Like we, we really don't take it lightly. As you go out today, I just want you to be thinking this week about these steps. What would it look like for me to change the way I do my estimates to try to solve a problem as opposed to just measuring for a fireplace? What would it look like for me to call this customer back and walk through the order line by line by line, read them the scope of work before sending it on to the next step? These are small tasks that are easy to sweep under the rug, but they're powerful and they'll make a major difference in the way that you run your jobs. So I hope you have an amazing week. We're going to talk to you again very soon. Go out and execute. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to buy.